Sin my soul, Lolita, the tip of the tongue taking a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth. Lolita, she was plain low, plain low in the morning, standing four feet ten in one sock. She was Lola in slacks. She was Dolly at school. She was Dolores on the dotted line. But in my arms, she was always Lolita. Did she have a precursor? She did. Indeed she did. In point of fact, there might have been no Lolita at all had I not loved, one summer, an initial girl-child, in a princedom by the sea. Oh, when? About as many years before Lolita was born as my age was that summer. You could always count on a murderer for a fancy prose style. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, exhibit number one is what the seraphs, the misinformed, simple, noble-winged seraphs, envied. Look at this tangle of thorns. Hey, guys, it's me, a pedophile from Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita. What was his name? Hum Humphreys? Hum Humbert Humperdinck? Something with an H. Anyway, my name's Alex, and this is the Alex cast, and that was the opening paragraph to Lolita. I read that because at some point I asked somebody to give me things to open the show with, and he said that I uh, should do the Lolita thing. There we go. It has been far too long since I last joined you, and I want to explain myself. This is not my normal, I got sad and didn't do the show, or my, I'm too lazy and didn't do the show, or I got disinterested and didn't do the show, or my tongue did that thing where I mispronounced every word in a row in a sequence ending in my eventual suicide. No. I did not do a show for this reason. I did a bunch of guest spots, not a bunch, two. And kind of in the midst of doing those, I sort of spaced out in doing my own show. Um, both of which I, I don't, I wouldn't say I researched, but I did brush up on the topics. And, well, frankly, in my head, I kind of made a little bit of a check mark uh, next to did podcast. This check mark was ill-advised. But now I am back, talking into a microphone, for you, the lovely audience. But Alex, you may be saying, you're not saying that, but Alex, I'm pretending that you might be saying, in order to use a narrative device to move on to the point, what shows were you on? Well, I'm glad you asked, invented narrative device. I was on the Whatcast. You know them. They've been on this show. I've been on their show. Their show's been on this show. This show has been on their show. I don't really know where I am anymore. But I went in there and talked about tarot and chaos magic. I guess it was good. I don't listen to shows I'm on. 
I mean, I listen to the podcast, but not the episodes I'm on, because, well, I live with me already, and I'm good. Uh, you know, I I'm, I don't need to be reminded of what I'm like. And, frankly, uh, I make a lot of mistakes, and I don't want to hear them later, because I'll point them out to myself and feel even worse. This is what I like to call Positivity Hour with Alex. If you want to hear me sound like I know something about the tarot or magic, you can go to thewhatcasters.com. Thewhatcasters.com. Like, let's say you were in um, a place in which you needed wheels for a tiny scooter, and you said, hey, could you get me some of those casters over there to put on the scooter? And and the person you're talking to sees multiple bins of casters, and you say, hey, what casters? And it's like, no, it's probably spelled different, but it's the whatcast, E-R-S, dot com. The, <laughs> that was fucking ridiculous. The other show I was on was Project Archivist, where I talked about Dr. John D, which you've heard me talk about in the show. I talked about that, and alchemy, and all the other things related to John D. As I was doing it, I realized, holy crap, is there too much information, and I'm sure I made a babbling ass of myself. However, there's no however, I probably made a babbling ass of myself. But I made a babbling ass that was chock full of information that somebody can later look up and realize, oh, that's probably what he meant, not the thing he said. Or I did awesome. One of the two. You can find Project Archivist at projectarchivist.com. If you want to know how to spell that using some kind of device of a narrative way, I would say, hmm, look, there's an archivist over there using uh, his archive to archive things. I am going to pretend I'm him uh, in a psychological way and project upon him my feelings. Project archivist. Project archivist. Project archivist. I've said it enough times that it no longer has any meaning. Projectarchivist.com. Thank you for joining me. I asked the audience this question. I shall read it to you in the words of Alex Michael Bolin. Anyone have any questions for the show? If not, I'm just going to turn the microphones on and list my favorite racial gender slurs. There were some questions. Very few, actually. Most of which were of a humorous nature. And I use humorous quite wrong. I'm kidding. JK dog. I'm not going to re list my um, favorite racial and gender slurs. You know why? Because I don't have any favorites. They're equally good. I mean, bad. They're equally bad in my mind. See what I did there? A really obvious joke. And my self esteem's to the roof this show. Can you tell? Sorry. I'll get, I'll get back on. No, sorry. Shut up. It's going to be an awesome show. So the questions go as this Gina Lewis wants to know. Uh, based on the joking question, uh, the origin of the racial slur cracker. Can I discuss its origin? You know what? Frankly, I can. Um, there's a... Okay, wait, how do I start this? Okay. Corn cracker... Like, Jim Crack Corn, and I don't care, Jim Crack Corn, and I don't care, Jim Crack Corn, and I don't care, I don't remember the rest of the words. Um, so, uh, that was used for, it was a, a like a corn cracker was determined for, like, uh, poor, uh, white farmers. So that was, like, kind of the, um, 
I suppose it like hillbilly, but maybe not hills because he probably don't farm on hills that often. But you know, like just poor fruit. So be, and then it became crackers. The other, uh, the other origin is possible that it's the sound of the whip uh, uh, being made on the back of slaves. So the slaves are like, it's it's a crack of the whip, and then um, and then the slaves would be like, hey, that that's cracker over there. Like the he's the guy who cracks this horrible thing on my back. Um, and then there's another one. Um, that, uh, it's, uh, wait, I brought up a page, actually. With other things, uh, uh, okay. Um, derived from the verb to crack, used in the sense of to boast, uh, as in not what it's cracked up to be. Um, in Elizabethan times, documented in Shakespeare's King John, 1595, what cracker is this same that defs our ears with this abundance of superfluous breath? Super superfluous breath. I can say that word without looking at it. Superfluous. No, I can't. It's just a hard word. I'm never using it again. Uh, this sense of cracker used to describe loud braggarts, persisted especially in Hiberno-English, and it, in its Gaelicized form, crake, are still used in Ireland, Scotland, and Northern England. This explanation, given the earliest recorded reference of the term and specific meaning in the discussion here in a letter dated 27 June 1776 by one G. Cochrane, some sources said if I'd be interested, the Earl of Dartmouth... <gasps> I should explain to your lordship what is meant by crackers, a name they have got from being great boasters. They are a lawless set of rascals on the frontiers of Virginia, Maryland, the Carolinas, and Georgia, who often change their places of abode. Well, that's weird. Well, anyway, um, I think now, uh, cracker means this, and I, I don't, let me, let me break down what meaning means. <laughs> And that sounded sarcastic, but I don't. It doesn't matter what what a derivation of something is, where something comes from. I mean, it matters to nerds like me that actually study and read about this shit. But the way that it's commonly used is essentially um, the what matters. The play is the thing. To go back to, I think that's Shakespeare. I think I didn't say I think that's Shakespeare, and like some sarcastic, Ooh, look at me, I'm smarter than you. I know Shakespeare. I literally probably, I think I probably know that from like, like an episode of Sliders made a reference to it. But, uh, so, uh, I think now crackers, uh, I think the common derivative, the, the way that I think people think of it is the whip crack thing. And also, how do I word this kind of nicely? White people are bland like a cracker, like a, like a, like a, 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 a thing like a food stuff like a like a Ritz cracker like just a saltine cracker without the salt like just this white pasty unflavored boring thing that is somehow ubiquitous and I think that is actually why it holds on in the pejorative that it does now because I th I mean frankly the the negative stereotype of white people are you know kind of boring can't dance like, oh, look at me, I speak in a nasal voice and I don't have any rhythm. Uh, oh my god, I'm a white stereotype. I speak in a nasal voice and I don't have any rhythm. Huh, I had no idea. Well, well one point for racism. Uh, yeah, so I think that's the thing, is that the people think it comes from Cracker, like Cracker of the Whip, um, but now the kind of bland foodstuffs as a comparison to white people is the thing that kind of keeps it going, kind of keeps it in the the zeitgeist, the spirit of the time, if you're unfamiliar with that word. Uh, that sounded really arrogant, too. 
I just wanted to, I used Zeitgeist and it was one of those things where I, as I said it, I went, oh, you arrogant piece of crap. Why would you say Zeitgeist? And, and then I wanted to explain it because I was like, oh, I used like a, I mean, it's not an uncommon word, but it's not, a, you know, it's not one that you would use in everyday English unless you're a basement dwelling weirdo like me, which actually I think most of you are. So I take it back. Zeitgeist actually means time ghost, if you translate directly from Alf Deutsch. That's the origin of the word cracker. Sort of. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that was her question. AJ Marquez asked me two questions. How do I regain my passion, and what race do I look? Uh, I think you probably... Uh, I'm going to say you look like, I don't know, 5K? Because you're pretty wide. You know, I don't mean that like a, like in a, like in a bad way. I just mean you're, you know, you're obese. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I honestly, I don't even know what you look like. It may be very svelte. I know what you look like, but I don't like you. Don't come across as fat. I just wanted to make like a dumb race joke, like a, uh, like a, like a, you know, like a marathon race, and instead of talking about actual race. But um, I'm gonna say you look like um, I don't know, Mexican. I, you know, I, I'm just I'm only saying that. Because your name's Marquez, and I think you've got... I'm not going to say that. Forget it. Um, I was going to say, I think you've got one of those Madonna tattoos. And as I was saying it, I was like, ah, it's pretty racist. But I was actually thinking you actually do have that tattoo. And it's one of those like, well, I'm bland and uh, don't know how to dance. Therefore, my stereotype works. But I don't think you're allowed to say that about other people. My bad. So um, that's what race you look like. Uh a 100 meters, a svelte, wonderful, quick thing. Let's stop talking about this now before I dig this hole any deeper. How do I regain my passion? Um, I don't know. Why would you ask me that? Oh, yeah, because I asked for questions. How would you regain your passion? Uh, well, okay, well, let's see. What I know about you, Mr. AJ, is that you were, or are, uh, trying to do the, uh, the stand-up comedy. The standing in front of a crowd and saying funny things. From what I've heard from other stand-up comedians and comedians, that the way that you um, succeed in comedy, especially when you're starting, is you just have to get as much time as possible. Uh, go up every night if you can. Um, just bomb as often as you can. Just it's keep persevering. So passion at this point of your comedic career isn't. I don't want to say isn't important, but I think right now it's more the yeoman's work that's in front of you is the important part because you just need time. And then as you get in the habit, I think passion comes from that. So, you know, you start getting that that kind of addicted to the laughs sort of thing. Uh, and then you keep moving on and, you know, passions spring from there. So how do you get your passions back? I think you need to do the work. You need to show up every night, say some jokes into... A microphone, uh, start a podcast, uh, try to be funny on that. Um, I know that's that sounds like, oh, everybody's got a podcast. Uh, yeah, they do. But that's kind of the point, is that if you start your own, well, I mean, no one's going to listen, but you will have to, you know, you force yourself to learn how to talk into a microphone for long periods of time. Uh, you have to think on your feet quickly. There's a lot of transferable talents between stand-up and podcasting. Um a lot more probably from comedy to podcasting than podcasting to comedy, because I've uh, I've essentially never done stand up. I, I long story short, there's a thing in middle school where I was fucking around, but like did not you know as an as anywhere near an adult, I've never done stand up. But I cannot imagine 
I mean, I would just bomb so badly. I can I can't even think of a reality in which I could ever find one an act and then two uh, an audience for aforementioned act. The numbers I get on this show are are you know often involve a comma. They regularly involve comma, whatever. But that's over the course of that's over uh, majority of the United States and then like a lot of. Uh, England, I got a lot of England, English uh, listeners, and uh, all across Europe and some Australia, and uh, like a lot of, a lot of like across the world to get that many people, because this I'm weird and this show is weird, and it doesn't make any sense that some episodes it's all really puerile humor, and then other episodes I'm trying to explain, uh, you know, how Gnostic wisdom works, or uh, you know, how conspiracy theories are. Uh, uh, a faux god in a modern world, which I'm going to get to later, I think. I might. But anyway, yeah, so regain your passion by uh, doing the yeoman's work. Show up every day. Um, uh, carry water, chop wood. And yeah, I haven't said carry water, chop wood in a while. I think it's mostly because I've been lazy and I've just been kind of languishing and being depressed and horrible. So I haven't been chopping wood or carrying water. Every time I say that, I feel like I say chopping water and carrying wood. And it's the same as saying coin toss. I always feel like I'm going to say toin toss. And after I say it, I feel like I said it the wrong way. You could write in and yell at me if I did. Brett, our friend Brett, the altered one, says Wacker Newson, which apparently Wacker Newson SE is a multinational company that develops, produces, and sells lighting compact construction equipment and provides associated services. Um... Is why would I talk about Wacker Newson? Is this did you make a mistake and copy paste something wrong, or is there a conspiracy theory? No, I mean it. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what do you want me to say about this. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's all. It's I don't see anything weird. I'm gonna say this was a mistake, but. Uh, I think they're great, and everybody should buy Wacker Newson, uh, unless unless it's uh unless it's bad, and then don't. But I, I, they look pretty good. I mean, they seem multinational. The Wacker Newson Hub on Android apps and Google Play has uh has uh, a five star rating out of four votes. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, in the past, I don't know if you guys, if this is your first episode of the show, and I don't know why you'd have listened this long if this was your first episode, uh, that I've, I've said in the past that uh, I was going to start show prepping. Um, yeah, that didn't work out. I did take notes sometimes of like, hey, maybe you should talk about this, but I probably could have like Googled that beforehand and realized this isn't like a thing. That I can talk about. It's 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 a company, but it, I'm sure it's light equipment is is incredibly light, sturdy, and wonderful. And please visit WackerNewbauerFlemingFlips.com and and purchase some backhoes. Pardon me as I take a sip of an alcoholic beverage or an alcoholic beverage. I'm drinking a um. 12 fluid ounce Pabst Blue Ribbon because I don't have anything else in my fridge and I'm 
really tired of drinking water. So I was like, I want something with a bit of flavor. And after drinking a bunch of water, Paps does technically have flavor. So there's that. Paps, if you're out there, you know, we can sponsorship. Oh, yeah, we have more questions. Well, one, sort of. Uh, blanks N time. Uh, blanks, spelled like blanks. The letter N, T-I-M-E, blanks N time, asked me, have you watched any good documentaries lately? Which do you prefer, jelly or jam, and which flavor, and do I wear sunglasses? Let me answer in the order that you did not ask them. I don't prefer jelly or jam. I don't really eat them. But I suppose jelly, just because I grew up eating jelly, but I don't, I don't, have a, I mean, jam's good too. I don't, I don't really buy either. They're just, it's a thing that exists. Uh, I'm sure there's some delicious jams, uh, preserves we can add into the equation, but yeah. Do I wear sunglasses? No, I don't. I had a pair of sunglasses that I got because I was in a, uh, a shopping center, a mall, if you will, with a person of, 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 uh, of fashion sense that was there with me and uh, went into the sunglasses hut and picked them out and said, these look not stupid on your face. And I said, why, thank you. Cause I have no ability to tell what looks not stupid on my face. I think everything kind of looks stupid. Uh, so I just, never buy glasses or sunglasses unless there's somebody around, and there rarely is. So I had sunglasses for a while, and then, um, I don't know what the hell happened to them. I guess they, I'm just gonna say they broke. Why not? Maybe I, maybe me and that person got in a fight, and I was like, ah, oh, damn you, sunglasses, and you reminding me of that perfect day at Lloyd Center, walking around looking for sunglasses, and finally, is getting that bipolar lenses. What are they called? Bicameral? Bi bipartisan? Bisexual? Bisexual lenses. I don't wear sunglasses. Except at night, like that song. Oh, I don't remember who that's by. What's that guy? I wear my sunglasses at night. It's like Eddie something. Eh, whatever. Okay, uh, watched any good documentaries lately? You know, I said that one for last, thinking I'm going to have a really great answer, and I don't. Um, Jesus, no, I haven't. I've been watching a lot of really shitty documentaries, to tell you the truth. Uh, lately, I've been sitting through, I don't even know if documentaries, more like lectures by Jim Mars, the uh, conspiracy guy. Um, eh, what was the last? I mean, this is the last good, like, kind of documentary I watched was years ago. Maybe not years ago, but like... Uh, Dear Zachary, which was really good. Um, super depressing, but really good. Uh, it's like a story of this guy's making a film for a kid because his dad had died. And he's like, hey, your dad was great. And then the movie moves on from there. And that's quite good. Uh, pretty depressing. Uh, uh, John Anthony West's Magical Egypt is really good. That's like a seven-part documentary series about... Uh, symbolist interpretations of Egypt. I'd, I've talked about that before. I watched that years ago. Uh, that's it. Sorry. I really wish I had. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed. I mean, I've watched a lot of documentaries recently, but nothing like, like I watched, uh, 
I watched a documentary about uh, Hadrian's Wall, you know, like the Emperor Hadrian. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not going to change anybody's life unless you're a nerd like me that's like, hey, I like reading and watching about obscure Roman bullshit. Uh, yeah, and then a lot of Jim Mars stuff. Which I'm glad this happened. I didn't, I didn't plan, I mean, I did plan this because I wanted to talk about Jim Mars. Look at me. I plan things to talk about. Segway. But thank you, Blanks in Time. So, I've been watching... Uh, I don't even want to say document. Oh, okay, I've been watching lectures by crazy people recently. And, uh... I don't even know where to start on this one. So... Uh, what are we, 24 minutes in? Here's the thing, I have, uh... I don't know if you guys remember, but I made... One time I made that Alex Cast Theater Presents, um... I've probably done it more than once, but I made another one of those, and that's going to come up at the end of the episode, so I want to make sure I have time. So let's, here, okay, while we're, while, before I get, I'll, I'll try to call my powers and start talking about Richard Hoagland in a second. Uh, if you want to know the secrets to the Martian landscape and on the Sidonia region and where you can find all the uh, stargates and the portals and whatever, uh, you want to go to facebook.com slash thestandardpdx. If you go there, you'll find out about all the wonderful things happening at the Standard Bar in Portland, Oregon. That's located at 14 Northeast 22nd, Portland, Oregon. Um, that's important to the Mars mission because if you go there, you can get drunk and talk to nerds like me and yell at each other about speculation that Mars may have held an advanced civilization. If you go on, on Sunday nights and you're like, no, what you don't understand is that uh, on on this side of the monument at Mars that looks like a face, it was taken at the wrong time of day, so it doesn't look like a face anymore. And I'd be like, yeah, but what you don't understand, hey, can I, Jess, can I have another Good Life IPA? Thanks. You're sweet. Thank you very much. You're lovely. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That was very quick and lovely and inexpensive. And then it'd go back to be like, no, what you don't understand is that uh, the, the there's a hexagonal feature on on some other planet and then you're like yeah and then you can meet up with that same person on wednesdays for dollar hams and you can be like you know what you don't get is that kennedy and lincoln both wanted to make money that wasn't based on the federal reserve and they were killed and then i can be like yes but let's drink us some more dollar hams and one dollar jello shots which you my friend can have because i don't have jello but you can have and you will get drunk and i will win this debate about conspiracy theory because we've gone to 14 northeast 22nd in portland oregon facebook.com slash the standard pdx that was not anywhere near the weirdest standard read i've ever done but i'll take it so i've been watching the richard hoagland he's a conspiracy theorist guy he talks about um i think he kind of made his bones on the kennedy assassination uh talks about occultism uh kind of how hidden Nazi stuff, that kind of thing, you know, stuff of, I would watch. And so I've been watching the things about, uh, evidence. And I use that word quite wrongly for, I've already done that quite wrongly twice tonight for structures on Mars and the moon, etc. Maybe it's just me, but here, I wrote, this is the quote I wrote down, and this, this is what I wrote down while I, so, I can't see any rectilinear geometry. That, that was my quote. So he shows a picture, many pictures, and says, you can see this is obvious geometry evidence for 
structures. And then he shows a picture of what structures on Earth look like after they've been covered in sand. So he shows a picture of like somewhere in uh, in Egypt, let's say. And there's a, you know, a settlement there that was uh, from, you know, dynastic Egypt that hasn't been uh, dug up yet. So you can see the lines, the walls, and you're like, oh, this is, you know, from satellite photography, this looks like this is a previous structure, previous inhabitation. And then he says, well, it looks just like this. And he shows a picture from Mars, and it just looks like soil. I don't, it, it, I don't, I don't see it. And um, I'm kind of racking my brains that, like, am I... Do I not have the periodolia gene? Like, uh, do, do I not see, uh, random things as objects as, as well as other people? I was thinking about it. Like, I've seen, like, you know, they show a picture of, like, the face of Jesus in toast or whatever. I'm like, I see that. So it's not like I don't have the ability to do it. I just didn't see, I don't see it. So he doesn't hook me, but I'm still watching because it's fun. And he says this line, which, which really, which really I like. The more you look, the more you're going to see, which, which I like very much. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, of course, you know, the more you look, the more you can see. But I do that. If you remember back, well, not that if you remember, I doubt anybody that's listening was live for this, but uh, during the House of Un-American Activities, when they're trying to hunt out communists in America, everywhere they looked, they found communists because that's what they were looking for. The more you look, the more you're going to see. If you start looking for a conspiracy, if you start looking for structures on ancient, ancient structures on Mars, you're going to find them. That's just logic. It's you're f- convinced of something and then trying to find the evidence. And then instead of finding the evidence and forming a hypothesis or a theory, um, you've got your theory and then look for the evidence and it doesn't work that way because you're going to find it because you're just looking at random lines on a dead planet. I'm not saying there isn't thing there. I'm not saying there aren't things on Mars that are odd, anomalous. That Sidonian region shit is weird. There's pictures that are weird. And then there's stuff where it's, it just looks like random lines. So at one point, he's showing an alluvial fan on uh, in a crater. Alluvial fan is... Though I learned it as alluvial plane when I was in geology, ge- ge- geology. Thank you. Essentially, it's a picture. I mean, picture a fan, like a like a Japanese fan, like the you wave in front of your face. It's that where it's like, um, essentially, it throws sediment down uh, under like a lake bed, not like two or lake beds. So it's kind of like a almost a river looking thing, then it spreads outwards. So it's like um, a V shape almost. And uh, it throws sediment down, and it's important. So he's showing that, and uh, he goes, well, this is, this is an important thing. Is that here, and this is where he's showing these structures, which I can't see. And he goes in this thing of, uh, well, here is a is a heat map of this area where uh, you know that a heat map has a, and he keeps using big words. And I'm not saying he keeps using big words like I'm some idiot that doesn't know large words, like, I am an idiot, but I know a lot of big words. Like, it's not like he's going over my head. He's just being purposely obfuscating. Even though I used obfuscation wrong, um, I didn't, I mean, I used the the, the, the the tense of it wrong. I only tried to use it because like, oh, let's try to throw a big word out here and failed miserably, which is why I try not to use big words. Anyway, sorry. Let's talk about this thing saying, if you look at the alluvial plane 
uh, where there's usually structures. Uh, one of the bits of evidence that this is a uh, uh, man-made, or pardon the word man, but man-made, uh, is that if you look at the heat map of it, that hard structures hold heat more. And he says, uh, like uh, metal, like buildings, um, um, I forget what else he word, uh, uh, like, like parking lots, and that's the key thing here. Um, you know, like parking lots, which would, you know, made of concrete if you've ever been to a concrete parking lot or parking structure. Here's, here's, a, here's a fun little fact about alluvial plains, alluvial fans, and, uh, and sediment. Uh, what that's referred to is concretion, because it's tiny sediment things with, with, with mixed in, with water, and uh, various other things, and then it solidifies into something very similar to concrete, because that's kind of how it happens. That's how limestone is made. Well, that's not really how limestone is made, but you get the idea. It's it, it it's concretion. It's a term that's the same root for concrete. It gets very hard. That's just a, that's a natural feature. So when, when when he says it's like a like a parking lot, well, yeah, because that's you know it's how it works. It would it it's like uh, if a tree fell over and you'd say it's got these naturally occurring straight lines that are horizontal. It's like well, yeah. Because a tree fell over. That's the tree. It's not like a you don't you you don't now say that that's a supporting uh, strut for a, an alien base. The tree fell over. So there's a lot of that. I don't know if that made sense to you. I think it no. I think that made sense. I think I explained myself clearly there. Another thing, and this is one of those looking for uh, things that aren't there or just trying to convince yourself. So he's talking about one of the. You know what? I didn't make a note of which rover it was, but it was one of the um, lunar or Mars rovers. And he says, well, you know, that looks like uh, that, you know, that robot uh, short circuit. Remember that great movie short circuit? Well, it looks like that rover, right? Well, you know, that's not a coincidence. I, you know, we won't go into that, though. I, I, let's let that sit there for a second. Then one of the rovers. It's on a extraterrestrial mission. Looks like Johnny Five from Short Circuit, and that's not a coincidence. He also says that's not accidental a lot. That everything is part of this conspiracy, is part of those secret learnings. And and there may be some. Again, Cydonia looks pretty interesting. Them somehow having Johnny Five to do with anything is... Uh, it just it fucking boggles my mind. But he keeps saying that's not accidental or, hmm, yeah, like they, they think we're too stupid to see it. And by the way, he's from Texas. Whatever accent I'm doing, I'm sure isn't Texas, but it's, you know, it's slightly not mine. He keeps bringing up 19.5 degrees above horizon as this is some big thing going, well, they know because this is one of the parts of, I think he says tetrahedral four dimensional uh, some kind of physics, uh, uh, I forget, it's, it keeps using this. Anyway, sorry. This is me trying to not be mad, because I do enjoy stuff, some of the stuff is interesting, but, again, the more you look, the more you're gonna see. So he's 19.5, 19.5 degrees above this, and it's not a coincidence that it, 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 19.5 shows up here. Well, here's the other thing, what's not a coincidence. He also says, 33, hmm, hidden in plain sight, 3.3, Huh? What? You what? We're not going to notice? Well, you know, 19.5. Well, actually, it's 19.47. There's another one of the 19.5s. He also says, I forget what it was, referencing 17. He goes, 17, very powerful number for them. 17. And 17's right there. Hmm? 17? He's done the same thing about 17, 
3, 7, 19.5, 3.3, and 33. And that's just from watching an hour and 15 minutes and barely taking notes. I forget what show is on, but made reference to this when it comes to um, sacred numbers or numbers having a, a significance in a culture. I think any number, pretty much any number, up until I couldn't even tell you, but in my, you know, for me, I could do like, you know, uh, one through 11, 12, 13, one through 13, I can do pretty easily of just, you know, them having it's like a sacred thing. Like, all right, so zero is the null set. That's the basis of the universe. You know, one is the eye. Uh, one is the beginning, two is uh, the sacred dynamic of male and female, three is birth, because uh, and then three is a lucky number, uh, four, four seasons, four alchemical elements, uh, five, uh, oh, five, oh, five is the law of fives, uh, also five fingers in each digit, uh, six, two threes, two and three, 23, very important number, seven, you know, lucky number seven, everybody knows that, eight, either lucky or unlucky in Chinese, forget nine, three threes, three three, thirty three. everybody knows that, ten, binary, first thing, binary, the universe is easily a computer, binary, one, zero, on, off, there, there's one through ten. I'm not saying that those are true or whatever, it just, every number you can do it, so the more he goes, hmm, uh, yeah, they're hiding in plain sight, it's like, no, you're saying that about, if you say every single fucking thing is part of a conspiracy, the more you look, the more you're gonna see. So, I don't know, I was just watching it, and it was just kind of getting, getting, I don't know, it was getting to me. And uh, I can't see any rectilinear geometry, I just, I don't see it. So, that's my Jim Mar stuff. I made some other notes while I was reading that, and I don't know how much I'm going to go into. Pluto, I saw a thing today that Pluto is smaller than Australia, which I was familiar with before. The people that are yelling about Pluto not being a planet, I want to point this out to you, because it kind of annoys me. And this isn't conspiracy theory. Well, I think some people actually have a conspiracy theory to this, but anyway... There is a bunch of shit out there near Pluto in the asteroid belt and the Kuiper belt, K-U-I-P-E-R, Kuiper belt, whatever, that are the size of Pluto. Pluto's tiny. It's the size of Australia. There's uh, the one I can think of as Eris as a dwarf planet and then Pluto. There's a bunch of others that are either similar. I think there's one that's even bigger than Pluto. So if you consider Pluto a planet and you want to have a, a definition of what a planet is or isn't, if Pluto is one, you'd have to add like six others. And I, when I say six, I don't fucking know. More than one. Uh, so Pluto is a dwarf planet. It's not a planet. Yes, we used to think that, but we also used to believe in a geocentric universe. So, sorry. I apologize to Pluto. I'm a fan. Percival Lowell, double thumbs up to you. But it's not a planet. It's a dwarf planet. And if you want to call it a planet, then we've got like 15 in our solar system. Just wanted to point it out. Um, What else are we talking about? I keep saying M, sorry. We're at third. Oh, we're at forty minutes already. Uh, let me. What else do I have here? Uh, a song. Here's a couple things quickly. Um, I'm rushing to try to get to this thing, and it's the Outcast Theater presents, and it's so stupid. Uh, it's just, I if you remember last time I did like a, an old prospector and his mule, like it's just that again. And then he meets demons. It's really dumb. Uh, but I got bored and made it. So I'm going to play it for you. Uh, oh, uh, it's documentaries. Here's a, here's a note. This was one I saw and I didn't write down the name cause I saw it a while ago. It just popped my head. Gobleckli Tepe. Everybody's going 
bonkers about Gobalactica Tepe because it is a site in, um, I think it's on the eastern side of, and, um, no, it's probably, no, it's more like southeast. So Gobalactica Tepe, I don't remember where the fuck it is, but, uh, Gobalactica Tepe is, uh, recently found in, and as they, as every conspiracy person goes, you know, even accepted science says it's 10 point, it, it's, uh, uh, 10,500, uh, BC. Yeah, 10,500 BC? Or is it 10,500 years old? Either way, it's a fuckload older than uh, uh, Sumeria, which is what we're kind of, before that was sort of the gold standard of the oldest as uh, accepted um, his history gives us. If you're unfamiliar, just look up Gobalakili Tepe. One of the things about Gobalakili Tepe is, there's two things. One, uh, there are a bunch of freestanding... Uh, no, I wouldn't call it megaliths uh, with relief carvings on the side. And the, the relief carvings are fucking cool. Like, this is, I'm not taking anything away from Go Likely Tepe. Like, it's amazing. It sets the clock back farther. Um, it's, it's further, farther? Who cares? It sets the clock back more than it was before. Ah, I didn't use the word. And uh, if you listen to the show at all, you, you know, I'm a firm advocate of, of humanity being significantly older than we currently think it is. Uh, so, Gobalakli Tepe, awesome. However, people saying these things like, oh, well, you know, ancient people could possibly carve this stone with, you know, what they had. These, this equipment is, is too much and it's, it's too, it's too complicated. So, uh, it's either, you know, I, uh, ancient aliens or Atlantis or blah, blah, blah. So, I watched this BBC documentary about Gobalakli Tepe and there's this stone, what do you call a stone mason? I guess a stone sculptor. Uh, was there and he grabbed there's the rocks laying around so he grabs some rock that doesn't have anything on it you know just the rock of the area he grabs another rock and uh, a piece of uh, paper and some charcoal and he charcoal sketches like a jaguar or something puts it down and then uh, kind of makes the outline on the rock using the other rock and then just sits there for like a couple hours and just chops it out and in a couple hours he had made enough progress that over the course of a couple hours just using a few rocks you could see that technique and it just took some rocks and 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 manpower there's no reason to make this overly complicated. And the reason I bring this up is I'm not trying to take magic away from the, from the past. I just want to give ancient people some credit. It's not that, I mean, yeah, it's complicated. It's fucking amazing what they did, but it's not UFOs amazing. It's human ingenuity amazing. So go out to the Tepe. If you watch that BBC special, I guess it's like BBC go to the Tepe. They might, they, you might stumble on it. I wish I'd written it down, but this was a while ago and it just reminded me because all the conspiracy guys keep bringing this up now, and I'm already tired of it. Which, which, that brings me to the other side of this. If you ever hear conspiracy people going, there's no way you could cut limestone like this in Egypt with the tools they had, because they had copper tools, and if copper hits this, it would just, it would break, and it wouldn't work, and this, this is, you know, it just, it, there's no way to do it, so you need advanced ancient technology. So, if you type, uh, uh, just look on YouTube, because I saw this in multiple places. If you type, uh, uh, basically just type uh, uh, cutting uh, cutting limestone with copper and sand. And actually, sometimes just string and sand. String, yeah. So, and there's video of it. It's like a copper saw. Basically, just a length of copper that's flattened. You know, uh, like, it looks like a saw made of copper. Now, yes, if you tried to cut limestone with that, it wouldn't work. However, when you pour sand into it, 
which sand is ultra-dense silicate. Ultra-dense. It's like diamond hard. Don't quote me on diamond hard, because I don't know fuck all about this, but it's super dense. And you pour it on there, and then rub the copper back and forth. Cuts through. I would even say cuts through like butter, but it doesn't. It cuts through like something that takes a lot of fucking work. But you can see it. You can see people doing it. You can see uh, modern Egyptians using very similar techniques. There's people that re reenacted it with uh, with the copper tools they had at the time. This is not a mystery. How they move giant stones, there's still some mystery. How they cut out these obelisks that are fuckloads of tons. I, I don't know, 100 tons, 200 tons. Uh, that's probably too much. By the way, some shitload of... And then made them stand... Like, yeah, there's significant amount of stuff that's probably a little un mis not understood about that. But the cutting, it's there. You can see evidence of it. I like this conspiracy stuff. I like this alternate history stuff. But I think when something is definitively shown to be wrong, you have to throw it out. And if they say, you can't cut this limestone using the tools they have, and there's a video of people on YouTube doing it, and, and not a video like, you know, uh, some kid in Australia. Like, these are professional fucking scholars showing reenactments of it. It's, it's, this isn't some bullshit, you know, FX studio. It's there. Throw that bit of that, throw that out and stop asking that question because then you're, 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 the rest of your theories will hold more weight if you start throwing those out. The ones that have been solved. And it's just listening to, uh, uh, uh Hoagland and, uh, Jim Mars. By the way, earlier when I was talking about Hoagland, uh, there's a bunch of Jim Mars in there as well, because at some point I stopped talking about one and started talking about the other, because I've been watching them nonstop. So, um, sorry, um, I kind of forgot which one's which. I think they're both from Texas. Hoagland wears one of those bolo ties or whatever they're called, and Jim Mars wears a cowboy hat and has an accent. So, I'm sorry to have conflated the two, and I'm not sure if that's the right usage of conflate, but, uh... I just looked at my notes and saw Hoagland and then slash Jim Mars. Well, actually, I wrote Mars, and I realized... I was like, oh, I spelled Mars with two R's. What am I, an idiot? Oh, yeah, I am an idiot, but not in that way. I'm an idiot because it's Jim Mars. Anyway, I just got tired of people repeating the same shit. I always go on about the Zachariah Sitchin thing where, you know, none of the translations that he puts, that he put out of all the Anunnaki shit, them, blah, 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 that it's not there in the text. Um, and I want people to throw it out and kind of restart from jump because I think they're, they're not, I think, I know there's a shitload of stuff that's unexplained and the more it gets washed and and kind of mixed in with all this horse shit and stuff that's just been explained away but it's still being held on to it makes the entire movement seem stupid like somebody like graham hancock who besides the sitch and stuff which i don't know why he still buys into that um he seems to be doing a really good job of scholarship like he actually he's putting in the hours he's putting in the work and somebody like that should be getting some mainstream uh, I mean, he's getting mainstream attention, I think, at some level, but he's getting some respect because he's putting in the scholarship, he's putting the hours, putting in the work. Uh, but when he's on the same bill as, you know, somebody talking about fucking the pyramid as a, as a giant power plant or, uh, you know, uh, Atlantis's telluric currents having the nodal points being the various pyramids and yada yadas, uh, that shit's cool. I love reading about it. In fact, I know a lot about the nodal points of dolor currents, but that doesn't mean that that should be held in the same regard as proper scholarship. Um, so there's just a few things. It just that's the 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 carving thing, the the sand cutting and the carving at Gobelikli Tepe, and um. Another thing, uh, and this, I, I'm finishing up very soon, just the end of my Egyptian, uh, I get annoyed by uh, people saying wrong shit. 
uh, there's no carvings, there's no hieroglyphics explaining how they built the Great Pyramid. No one, there's no hieroglyphs to say how they moved these stones. That's an outright lie. That's not true. There's plenty of hieroglyphs showing people uh, pulling sleds with giant fucking stones on them. The hieroglyphs are there. Uh, I don't remember it off the time, but there's a word for sled that we know, that we can translate. There's a word that's a picture. It looks like a fucking sled. It's people with ropes with a big fucking block on a sled pulling it. Recently, uh, they showed, uh, in, in, I forget if it's in a hieroglyph or somebody just figured this out, but I think it's from a hieroglyph. They saw people kind of um, pouring stuff uh, before it. Uh, don't quote me that that's actually from a hieroglyph. All that sled stuff is on hieroglyphs. But either way, I saw this recreation of uh, when you get, if you pour water on sand before you pour a, um, the, pull the sled over it, it, rec- it decreases the drag like exponentially if you get the, uh, the kind of moisture level in the sand perfect. And so it's not like expending the energy of pulling, um, you know, a hundred tons. You actually only have to pull like, 10 tons or whatever. It's almost like a pulley action. So you, you, it like, it, it almost turns into like an ice surface kind of thing. Like imagine pushing something super heavy on ice and something super heavy on concrete, uh, or on an alluvial plane in Mars. You can see, you know, you can kind of picture the difference. So yeah, there, there, there are hieroglyphs showing people pulling ropes with sleds, with, with stones or statues on them. So if you see somebody that says it, uh, you know, in a documentary, understand that that is not only, not even disproven, it's just wrong. It's always been wrong. Somebody said it once and these people keep repeating it. And that's why I want Sitchin stuff to go away because somebody said it once and now there's an entire industry around the Nephilim and the, and the Anunnaki and all the shit. And that just comes from one guy either mistranslating, mistranslating or inventing from whole cloth this bullshit. So, um, all that I learned from Michael Heiser, who I actually just invited on the show. I'm doubt I'll hear back from him. Uh, I doubt even more that'll come on, but I invited him. He's the guy that kind of, I don't know, just points out how um, Sitchin may have not been exactly right. And I tend to agree because all of the uh, cuneiform tablets are, the translations are available online and, well, none of the stuff that Sitchin says seems to be there. So, But I also haven't done all the scholarly work either. I haven't read all the tablets, but um, I have read the Epic of Gilgamesh. I had to read it in college for my ancient history course, and you know, there's no genetic manipulation in there. Most of the stories he said he's from there isn't. Um, anyway, that. So these are things that I said. Uh, my name's Alex. I can't see any rectilinear geometry. Uh, the more you look, the more you're going to see. And that's important. That's important. Oh, I didn't get to the conspiracy theory thing. I just heard this good quote, and then I'll go into the Alex Cast Presents. Uh, I heard a quote that, and I'm misquoting, so uh, uh, that goes something along the lines of uh, the, uh, the belief in conspiracy theory rises in the exact proportion that the belief in God drops. And I thought that was really cool that... Conspiracy theory becomes sexy because you're still wanting to give your power to something higher that, you know, you're not living in an absolutely randomized universe where at any second your heart could pop, a meteor could eat on the head or a spray, a spare bullet could show up somewhere. Uh, that's, you know, whatever you could be, have a chainsaw fall out of a building. Uh, no, uh, if something bad happens because the hidden hand is behind it, the Illuminati, the Bilderberg group, they are pulling the strings of what happened because to live in a world that is completely unordered and is completely based in you know, essentially chaos is too scary for people to take in. Before conspiracy theory, that was God. Well, God made it happen. It's the will of God, etc. You get the idea. And I just thought that was a cool comparison. Uh, again, much like there's shit on Cydonia on Mars that I actually think, dude, that that's 
fucking that's really hard to explain as a natural feature like to me that really that really looks artificial in that way i'm not saying all conspiracy theory is shit but i think the more again uh polluting the water or diluting uh, the goodness is the more conspiracy theories pick up, the more everything becomes a conspiracy, the less the good ones or the real ones kind of spring out. And I just thought it was interesting. And I think it draws a good co- parallel between the belief in God and the belief in conspiracy theory. So yeah, I just found it interesting. I thought I'd share it with you guys. Yes. My name is Alex. You can find everything about me on alexcast.com. Alex is always spelled with two X's. Um, not everything about me, but you can find previous episodes. Uh, I've written two books. Last one's called Periphery. It is a corker. It is a fiction book. If you like weird shit, you'll like it. If you want to buy stuff on Amazon, click the Amazon link. If you want a free audiobook from Audible, click the Audible link. If you want to do whatever, I don't know, just go there and look at stuff. You're like, hey, look at that, and then click on it and just do things. Be happy and love each other. You can find me on Twitter at TheAlexCast, Facebook.com slash AlexCast. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm everywhere. I'm, I'm ubiquitous, except for, like, a lot of stuff like Pinterest. I don't even know what that is. And that other one. What's the other one that everybody uses that I don't use? Um, it's not. Okay. It's not. I have Instagram. What's the other one called? Post something. I don't know. That other one. I, I don't, I don't have that. So sorry, but I really wish I could remember the name of it. It's not Pinterest. What's the other one? Somebody write in and tell me. Uh, this is usually the only time you guys interact with me is when I kind of start failing miserably to remember something. Oh, God, that's irritating. Uh, it's like an aggregate. Oh, I don't care. Shut up, Alex. So, yeah, I've been Alex. You have been the audience. And, uh, yeah, here is the uh, weird Alex has theater thing. I will see you again very soon. Uh, oh, and by the way, get in touch with me. I've been thinking about that this might be uh, good. If you want to have uh, me do uh, every week come out on the same day, that might actually help me if people want that uh, or if that matters to you or if it doesn't. Just get in touch with me at the AlexCast uh, or write me AlexCast at gmail.com and all that stuff. Okay, cool. Uh, enjoy. Bye. And now AlexCast presents another story of a prospector, his mule, and the various demonic forces that he runs into in his day-to-day life. Enjoy! I've had many years of adventure, battling demons, the forces of iniquity, trying to better the course of mankind, leaving the world a better place from which I had entered it. Unless, of course, I had summoned the aforementioned demons, or caused the inequity, and then I'd say that I'm trying to leave the world in a bit of a wash. We were four days out of a town called Temperance, my old mule and I, Juniper. We had an altercation over a game of cards with a certain chupacabra dealer. He thought that the best means by which to attain a chupacabra was, of course, to summon one using the ancient rites that were passed down from him through the Mayan Empire, the Incas, and the Toltecs, and the Olmecs, and the various groups 
that hath from time in memoriam known the secrets of possession and cultivation of chupacabras. I, however, knowing a bit or two about chupacabra husbandry, have told him that the best means by which to attain a chupacabra was to purchase one at a licensed chupacabra dealer. He and I had a bit of an altercation, and I was forced to leave rather quickly. I was five days out of an old town called Temperance, wandering the desert with no real direction in mind, save for forward, save for another life on this beautiful earth. We were out of water. We'd been out of water for two days. Juniper, that's my old mule, she got to making some noise over a campfire one night, and her brain sounded like some kind of ancient tongue, making some form of eldritch speech. Unfortunately, as it happens, she summoned an Acadian fire demon. I thinking quite quickly, if I do say so myself, consecrated the water inside of our canteen, and I doused that Acadian fire demon in the consecrated water, then sent it back to the nether realms for which it came. Juniper, for her part, Looked abashed, and I did not blame her. Many times the braying of a mule will sound like the summoning charms behind ancient and demoniac forces. However, blame or not, we were out of water, and we were too far away from a town called Temperance to turn around and hope that that chupacabra dealer would not shoot us on arrival. We would have been long dead from thirst before we arrived. So I found myself in that old quandary, the one that many men, and I'm assuming many women, and many other upright thinking creatures on this planet have found themselves in, and I'm sure you know the one. Should I drink the blood of my old mule, or should I die thirsty in this desert and become a mummy like so many others, rattling across the Atacama? And that was the question, and I did not know what the answer would be, but sweet little Juniper, she did not seem the type to want to be drank. And so, with my parched tongue, and her slow, slow walk, we moved deeper into the desert. We came upon, if I recall correctly, a patch of cactus. Mm, cactus, one of the things that some of you may know, and often hold enough water to keep a man and his steadfast mule alive until the next town, more, if 
that man and his steadfast mule had not, as was in my case, annoyed a chupacabra dealer. Good return to old temperance. I, being the man that I am, and her being the mule that she is, decided to eat upon the sweet, watery insides of the cacti. We gloated ourselves on it. We supped upon that sweet, sweet meat on the inside of the cactus until we felt full and slaked our thirst and made another fire. I looked at old Juniper askance and she neighed in the softest neigh you'd ever hear coming from a mule. Uh, she knew that she messed up somewhere in, somewhere in that Acadian fire demon. Mm, we're on our way towards forgiveness, one and the other, man and mule. So we sat and looked at the fire, our bellies full, full of the ache, when the fire began to talk to us. The fire began to speak to us in, well, tones that I did not understand. Movements within it. Shadows out of the corner of our eyes started to move and encroach upon our fair, fair fire circle. <clears throat> I pulled out an old stick I used as a wand in those days, quickly drew a circle around ourselves, and did a little incantation. Yet the fire, it danced, and the voice grew louder, and the shadows crossed my protection circle. Well, nothing can cross my protection circle when I cast one with my mind on keeping myself and my loved one alive. I knew that those shadows must be within my head. I knew that there was something wrong with myself and the way I was viewing the world. Man, the fire danced some more, and it spoke. And this time, I could barely, if I tried hard enough, make out some words. And it said this. Do you know what it is in you? Do you know what the reality is in you? I am mother of a place you got in. Why do you know what I found out? Mr. Fire. I do understand that you're saying words to me, but your tongue is unfamiliar. I know many of an ancient tongue. I know what I thought would be all of them, but I hear the sounds of antiquity in your rattling. Do you know any of the tongues of man that currently walk this planet? And so with the fire, it rose mighty high and coalesced itself into a shape. And that shape, it became dark and black and sat next to us. It was the form of a man, vaguely. It had no features, per se. Just blackness. But there was solidity to it. And it spoke to us again. And this time, its voice, although difficult to understand, 
and spoken something very similar to English. We learned of the language the first. We speak of the first. We watched as they fell, and you were raised. You were raised, and they spoke with the primal language, primal language of the angels and the god. And God, he spoke on them. And you, you gave yours the second language, but we are the first. We are the first, and we taught the earth to speak in our words, and your words mean nothing. We are the places of the first, and we have lost it. We have lost all. We have lost our earth. Ah, well, I do understand where you are coming from. I too would be upset if my world was lost to me. And you, if you have been paying attention, do know that my world was lost to me. That this is not the place where we were bound to be living in this time. We should be farther along, but we are not. So I feel your pain, Mr. Buzzing Demon. But I do not hold it against us humans. You may blame God, for he is a vengeful son of a bitch. That God has destroyed more than anything that you demons could even think about doing. And I don't mean to insult your abilities to destroy, but that God, and if you will forgive my harsh language, is a piece of shit, and he needs to be destroyed. Yes, we hate God for what it did to us. I remember, no, three score years ago, back when my wife still walked amongst us. We did not harbor such hatred towards that god. And then the rains fell, and the fires, they did go out. And she's been gone these long years, and that son of a bitch has never once sent a word of apology to those like myself and you, good buzzing demon, to make up for what he has done. He sits there in his bullshit clouds, and lets us suffer, both demon and man, and even poor Juniper. Now, I don't know why you have been summoned here. I did not mean to. I have not used any of the ancient words. I have just noticed that my fire coalesced into their dark shape. Nine. What was known to gods. Beauty gods, you have taken from flesh and given no water, water of the beauty. Now you are in debt, and you can see, you can see the first language, beauty of us. Ah, peyote spirit, I've heard of you many times. I did not expect you to be so... ancient. Hmm, that is surprising. Well, what may I do for you, Mr. Peyote Spirit? If you can live, move through towns to the next town, I require the tincture of Grandin. I require 
require a horse. The horse must be fine. I do not care for sex right. The horse must be fine and the pincher will be granted. Your lives will be given. You may continue on in the places where I am I think I know the tincture of which you speak. Men, I do believe that procuring a horse will not prove too terrifically difficult. But I should ask you, before I agree to this little bargain, what do you need the horse for? What do you need the tincture? If you are, as you say you are, a peyote god, why do you need this humble man and his humble donkey to go into the next town and procure you these items? Answer me this plain, and I may agree to your bargain, your wager. This is what I said to the glowing flames. This is what I said to the blackened shape sitting to my left. This is what I said to poor Juniper, who was sitting there with her eyes wide. Her pupils dilated. She looked just as confused as I did. And so, a buzzing peyote god responded to me and said as thus, I bound many, many years. No more can I take humans for form. Now I will take horse for form. Long to feel, long to feel, flesh, movement, wind, long to feel. Oh, well, I must say I am very glad to hear that you will no longer be taking a human host. I would not have procured you a human for this. Never, although I'm sure... After your long centuries upon this earth, you would like to get out there and resume a form of one you are more comfortable with. However, being the kind of fellow that I am, one who has often stopped upon the animals, cloven hooves and otherwise, I do not have much of a problem gifting you this horse. I shall go forth into the next town. And I'll procure you your horse and your tincture, and I will return it to you. In repayment for your safe treatment of me and my poor steed Juniper, wait upon us here, and we shall return to you by the morning, if you promise safe passage through the night, through the desert. You, oh mighty peyote god, must keep away the snakes the things in the night that would do us harm. And thus I will move forward. Forward into that unknown darkness to do you, my newest friend, you ancient god of the peyote plant, a favor. Please wait on us here, and we will return to you as quickly as my old mule's legs will allow. Tune in next week when our prospector finds himself in a spot of trouble down to the cement mixer. This has been Alex saying dumb shit in a stupid voice. Good evening, and it was Tumblr.